Okay, check out your Bibles. We continue our series called Putting Faith into Practice, and it's on the uh, book of James. Are you reading the book of James? How long does it take you to read the whole book? Ten minutes, 15, 20 at most, at most. Read through it. Memorize it. Think about it. It takes more than a cursory reading for this, these words to be planted in your life so they can have an effect, effect some change enabled by the Spirit of God. James, as I told you every week, really we've reminded you, it's a practical manual for Christian living. It tells us how to live in Christ-like ways, but it also, so it instructs us, but it also lets us see ourselves. It shows us our true spiritual state. Are we merely churchgoers who have accepted some gospel facts? I mentioned that last week. Or are we converted, truly born-again Christians who are changed people who follow Jesus with conviction in personal and practical ways? Today's message is called talking, which means examining what we say. You know what we're going to focus on today? Talking. Stick out your tongue, Rick. Let me see it. That's what we're going to focus on today. All the rest of you, stick out your tongues. Let me see them. That's what we're focusing on today. That's what we're focusing on today. The book of James mentions our speech, or specifically in some verses, our tongues, in every chapter in the letter. More than once in two chapters. So it's an important theme of this book. And it's important because what we say is another test of living faith. The genuineness of our faith will be determined, I mean not determined, will be demonstrated by our speech. Look at the verse on top of your, it's, it's not just an outline now, it's a brochure. So it's a brochure tucked in a program. I hope you're using this. I hope you, you know, bring your Bibles, bring your pen. You will retain more if you not only listen, but you write, you reflect, you do the exercises later. Matthew 12, 34. For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Do you believe that? Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. So we're going to study this morning, reflect on what we say. I pull out just four points from this passage. What we say first creates responsibility. We're in James chapter 3. At verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Bible teachers, preachers included in that, instructors in small groups, all the different levels, are held, and that includes you know, those that teach children, are held to a higher standard, a greater responsibility, because that person is exercising 
spiritual influence over the hearers. Because the people that come are open, they're receptive to being taught from God, to hear about Him, to hear from Him. And so they come with a level of trust for the person who's imparting this information. Now, James, as you know, was writing to dispersed Jewish Christians. They were not living in Jerusalem, perhaps not even living in Israel. And so this letter was being addressed to some people who must have desired to be teachers in the church. But their motivation was wrong. So they wanted, they were striving, aspiring for that with, with wrong motives or without sufficient preparation or inappropriate character or, or a lack of spiritual maturity, lack of sufficient spiritual maturity. Well, how do people become teachers in the church? Is it just that you have a natural talent? No, it's not that. God actually gifts people spiritually as teachers, preachers, and prophets. Those are all verbal gifts. Now, there are many other gifts. And every one of us, upon being born again, receives one or more gifts. Do you know what your gift is? And you will see benefit and growth when you operate within your gift. You'll be frustrated if you try to utilize a gift that you haven't been given. Now, I grew up in the Baptist church. How many of, y'all grew up, how many of you grew up in the Baptist church? And they were always begging for teachers. You remember that? And so the rule was, if you can breathe, you can teach. But how many of us have suffered under some terrible teachers? Come on, get it up. I want some honesty here. Terrible teachers. They weren't terrible people, but they should have been doing mercy or hospitality or administration. They didn't need to be teaching. So we do best when we discover and develop the gifts that God has given us. Just being glib or being able to be witty, those are not qualifications for teaching in the church. These are spiritual qualifications. Now, I believe, and I believe the Scripture teaches, and you can see it in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4, all talk about spiritual gifts, and you have one or more of those. And I think it's best that people within our church are the teachers. God gives every church the measure of giftedness that church needs to fulfill its calling. You believe that? So I believe this church has all the teachers it needs. It's just many haven't discovered it and aren't practicing it, so they're not developing it. I'll tell you this, I'm not real fond of sort of plug and play, find some expert from somewhere and stick a DVD in. I'm, I'm not really favorable of that approach because I think that the people that are teaching in the church ought to be living within the church community, in the church body. Because you know what? My credibility and any teacher's credibility is more connected to my lifestyle and my character than how glib I can be on a stage. It's fair for you to look at my family, to look at how I live, 
What do I drive? How do I act in the restaurants? That get, that's more important in terms of my credibility than whether I'm easy to listen to. And the same is true of all teachers. True, Not just me. It's true of everyone that ever teaches on this stage or anywhere connected to this ministry. When we attempt to teach the scripture, we must be careful, thorough, and serious. Because we're held responsible for what we tell other people is God's truth. And so to mislead people spiritually, even unintentionally, is a serious matter. Because it has an eternal dimension. Well, how do you qualify? Well, you must have faith, first of all. You need to be born again. You know, all real spiritual truth is not cognitively or intellectually discerned. It's spiritually discerned. In other words, you really can't understand the Scripture unless you possess the Spirit of God who reveals the truth to you. So we need to be born again. But we also need to have a level of biblical and theological understanding. I mean, the Bible, 66 books... Is, is, is a bit intimidating, isn't it? And it can even appear inconsistent unless you know how to understand the Bible as a whole. The Bible is not inconsistent or contradictory. It's complementary, but you have to have a, a theological grasp to be able to interpret all the parts together. You always interpret Scripture with Scripture. You take one verse out of context and you can end up way off the path somewhere. But we also need to have Christ-like character. Not perfect character, but improving character. As I said a few weeks ago, the the most important issue is not whether there's any sin, because there's certainly sin in all of us, but what's our attitude towards sin. If my attitude is, don't you dare examine me, you have sin too, that's the wrong attitude. If my attitude is, show me what's wrong so I can work on being more like Christ, that's the right attitude. Am I willing to see myself? Am I willing to hear God's Spirit? And am I trying to follow His lead? Not am I just defending, saying, this is what I am. Leave me alone. How dare you you say anything about me? But we need to get these things, all these qualifications, kind of moving in the right direction before we attempt to become instructors in God's Word. We have to be sure that our motivation is appropriate that we're not teaching to impress others with our knowledge. That we don't like the sound of our own voices. That we're not needy of our hearers' approval. And we know that 1 Timothy chapter 4 says, And a time will come when people will gather around them, folks who will say what their itching ears want to hear. You know what? If I'm here to please you, instead of to, to, to try to sincerely tell you what God's saying about us, then I need to get off this stage right now. That's a disqualification. That's God confirming right now. <laughs> now, this, this, this passage by James, he doesn't intend to limit or intimidate people who are called and gifted by God. He's saying you need, we need teachers, but you need to be prepared. That's the point. Be qualified. You need to take seriously this 
responsibility to accurately understand biblical truths before teaching them. You say, well, that's rather intimidating. I mean, did you have all that before you started? You know what I have to confess? I started teaching too early. I don't think I was prepared. I was prepared intellectually. I don't think I was prepared emotionally. Probably not spiritually in many ways. You know, it mattered to me too much whether someone accepted or rejected me. It was too painful to me. You know, the criticism hurt so, was, was so heavy because I don't think I was whole enough at the time I started to stand before people. Having said that, you know, if, if you'll forgive me that, <laughs> that past that wasn't what it should have been, I'll commit to doing the best I can in the present and improve in the future. But these are, these are weighty, weighty responsibilities. And even after studying, and, and I study a lot. It, it may not sound like it. But since David Hardy has been back, I really only, I attend meetings on one day a week and I study all week. And it, you know, I, I read and read and pray and I fast and I condense and, and rewrite and restructure so that it's understandable for you. Sometimes I hit a wall. I mean, I'll read a passage. I say, I, I don't even know what this means. And I'll back away from it and, some, and I'll say, God, you've you got to help me. I can't understand how this applies to us. Or, you know, I, I run in the woods some and I'll say, God, talk to me. What, what does this mean? What does it mean for our people today? So even after we study, we, we pray for God's guidance about what we say and how we say it. See, the tone and the, the way we deliver is all important. Unfortunately, a lot of us grew up in churches with, uh, you know, convicting preaching. I don't think it was often convicting. I really think they were angry men. And I, please, if you think that I'm slipping into personal anger, you, I, I ask you to say that to me. Because you can say hard truth in a, truth in a gentle way. Because it's the Spirit of God that applies it to people's heart. Not the force of the argument. And when the Spirit of God works, he's compared to a, to a blade or a sword that's so sharp it can cut all the way to your soul and divide soul and spirit, joint and matter. Like a surgeon's scalpel. You don't feel a surgeon's scalpel cutting you. You feel it later, but you don't feel it when it first cuts. And you know what? When God's, tr- God's Spirit is applying God's truth to you, it doesn't hurt going in. Now, later on, you'll think, I feel this. James 3.2 says, indeed, we make many mistakes. Boy, that's true, isn't it? But the fact that we make mistakes is not an excuse for not putting our best effort out. No one's exempt from misunderstanding. No one's exempt from misspeaking, and that's certainly me. All of us make mistakes, including me, and all of us sin. Romans 3.23. So, well, how do we deal with that? Well, we, we have to be humble, responsive to God's Spirit, receptive to exhortation from others. See, I don't think it would be appropriate if I distanced you and I didn't 
you never had a chance to say anything to me or even disagree with me. I, I don't see that. I think a pastor is called to live in the community, available and accessible. You know, I don't think it's, it's right to be removed. Now, you know, I think we should all treat whoever's teaching us with some humility ourselves and some gentleness. But it's not off limits to say, well, you know, I, I don't know if you comprehended that or I, I'm not sure of your conclusion there. That's, that's all right. That's appropriate because we live as a family. I do study. I do pray. But that doesn't mean that I'm not wrong sometimes in my conclusion or that there's not more than one application. The Bible only has one meaning. But it has many applications. So as I'm speaking, there's one meaning in the, in the text. But the application to you will be individual and personal to you. So there will be many applications. You know, it's interesting. I, I've urged you before to be like the Bereans. The Bereans were a people. They lived, you know, north of town. And, and they were people who listened to what Paul and Silas were, were teaching and they trusted those men. But then they would go and look at the scripture and examine it and study it to see if what Paul and Silas said was really true. That's what you ought to be doing with me. Not to criticize me, but when I say something, especially something that's challenging, then you need to take some time and take the word of God and get before God and say, is this true? Did he, did he accurately say this and does it apply to me? I invite you to do that. I implore you to do that. Now, this passage, you could easily say, well, I'm never going to be a teacher. There's too much responsibility. And it is a word of caution to aspiring teachers. But it, it doesn't restrain you in any measure from telling your story. Even though there are people who are called and gifted as teachers, preachers, prophets, all of us are called to be messengers. If you have a story to tell, who are you telling it to? You know, if I, if I see you in the concourse, I say, well, who are you telling yours to right now? We ought to always have someone we're praying for, concerned about, looking for God to open the door to give us an opportunity to tell our faith story. Do you have a faith story? Who have you told it to? Because we're all called to do that. What I say also controls my direction. Verse 2, the second part of verse 2. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Our tongues control and direct our lives. Do you believe that? Now this word perfect, perfect can mean absolutely sinless. But that's not the meaning here. It also means, remember Jesus yelled to telestai. And what that meant from the cross. And it meant it's finished. It's complete. So this word perfect means complete and mature. It doesn't mean absolutely without sin. Now James then uses two analogies to show the power of the tongue. We can make a large horse go wherever we want. By a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong. 
without a bit in a horse's mouth, without a rudder attached to a boat or ship, you have no way of controlling. Years ago, I was a camp director for children uh, between two years in in my seminary training. Uh, I ran a a children's camp all summer. And uh, Leanne and I were dating then, actually. So we had horses. How many of you are horsemen and women? Okay, there's wisdom in this room. How, How many of you have sat in a saddle on a horse? There is a big difference. Which one do you think I am? And Leanne as well. I think I'm better than her. She thinks she's better than me, but that's, you know, that's the way it goes. So anyway, we were riding horses. We had lots of horses. So, you know, everybody got assigned a horse according to their capability. Mine was not high. Leanne's wasn't either. Leanne was given this horse called Pappy. The oldest horse in camp. He was big. But, you know, these are trail horses. They just bump up against each other's rump and just go through the trail. So we were riding these horses before the kids had even come. And so Leanne had this old broken-down horse, this nag named Pappy. And she had a, the horse had a bit. But, you know, you, to control a bit, you have to have reins connected to it. You know what I'm saying? It's like you have a tiller on a, a boat. You, a rudder without a tiller is no good. Well, a bit without reins is no good. There has to be something controlling. You have to have a bit, but you have to have reins. Well, Leanne was leaning too far back. So her reins had a lot of slack in them. Some of y'all already acknowledge what's going to happen. So old plodding Pappy decided he didn't much like the way the day was rolling out. and He wanted to go home. And we discovered Pappy was about the fastest horse in the camp. He was just lazy. (laughs) So this horse breaks loose, and Leanne's got nowhere to go. She's laid back on him. He wasn't slowing down a bit. He had a bit in his mouth, but the reins were slack. She had no control. Thankfully, there was a horseman among us who was on the best horse, and he caught her and stopped her horse by grabbing his um, you know, bridle. But the point here is what we say determines the course of our lives. You believe that? What we say, and for, in one aspect, the way we talk reveals our character and it controls our relationships and it actually determines who's in relationship with us. Because the way you speak, what you say, draws people to you who have similar values and distances you from people who disagree with you. And the people that are involved in our lives greatly influence the direction of our lives. If you're kind, encouraging, complimentary, and even Christian in your speech... People of a similar nature will be present in your life. If you're harsh, coarse, rude, offensive, you will find yourself surrounded by negative people. Or you'll be completely alone. 
our tongues direct our lives. The proper use of our tongues produces peace with others and peace within. The misuse of our tongues produces conflict, violence, and broken relationships. Again, you have to hold the mirror. If, you're, if you are continually in conflict with others, if you are constantly doing damage control, you are very likely misusing your mouth. Your tongue is unleashed. You're, you have no reins, or likely in, you, you have no control. So reflect on the direction of your life, the current state of your relationships, and then, and then decide how have your words determined the current circumstances in your life. What I say also causes damage to me and to others. Verse 5. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. I, I, I'm not crazy about that translation in the New Living there. More literally, it's a Greek word, megalotio. And mega, we know, is big, huge. Well, more literally, it should say, in my opinion, humble opinion, it should, instead of grand speeches, it should say, Boast great things or brags in big ways. It's talking big. It's, it's expressing arrogance. It, it's egotism. That's what the, the literal translation means. Insecure people have a tendency, they're even in some sense almost compelled to brag and boast. To be self-centered. To be arrogant. So we think it's the opposite. We think it's the one that thinks too much of themselves. That boasts. and uh, No, 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 no. It's the one who's insecure. That does a whole lot more bragging and boasting. Because they don't know who they are. The one that's boasting. Is trying to convince you. And convince himself. You see the point? The person who knows himself. Doesn't need to boast. Because he or she is secure. In his own identity. You say, well, how do you, why do you think that? Well, Jesus is the standard for perfect manhood, but even, you know, humanhood. He didn't boast. He didn't brag because Jesus knew his identity. Kindness, honesty, humility, and vulnerability are necessary to initiate intimacy, to develop close relationships. If you're always wisecracking, putting people down, using a lot of sarcasm, cynicism, that's a cover for fear. And you say, oh, we're just being funny. Ask that other person if they think it's funny. Or if they feel unsettled when they get near you because they wonder, who are you going to unleash on next? But if we hold ourselves harmless, people are willing to come near, aren't they? Verse 5b. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. 
It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. And it can set your whole life on fire. For it is set on fire by hell itself. That hell is Gehenna, which was the garbage dump in Jerusalem. Still is a valley. It's been cleaned up significantly. But it's used by Jesus to compare with hell. It's a place that was always burning and stinking and carcasses and garbage were dumped there. But the point here is that the tongue is Satan's tool. The tongue, think about how the tongue divides, disrupts, disheartens, disturbs, creates damage and destruction. And it doesn't take much, does it? Setting a fire takes only one small match, one small spark. We've all seen these these, uh, fires on the side of the interstate. Well, what happened? Someone threw out a cigarette. It might have only had one spark left. And it turned into an inferno. On October the 8th, 1871, Chicago caught fire. You know how it started? 8 p.m. in the barn. What happened? Miss O'Leary's cow kicked over a lantern. That fire destroyed 17,500 buildings. Killed 300 people left 125,000 people homeless in a time when the population was much, much smaller. This was just after the Civil War, not long after. Fire has this unique capacity to continue to expand. Fire doesn't wear out. It doesn't just stop. Like you pour out water, water can't turn into a flood. It's only so much, it's limited in its size, not fire. Fire has an unlimited ability to expand and reproduce itself as long as it has oxygen and fuel. That's why not repeating gossip causes scandal to die. Because the fire lacks A small word of gossip. Well, I don't know if it's true or not. Well, then don't say it. Don't say it if it's true or if it's not true. Can incinerate a relationship. Can torture reputation. Can scar a life severely. You know, it's interesting. This media, social media. Boy, I caution you. Do not engage in battle on the web. People's lives are being destroyed on the web because vicious people can attack you at will, hidden while they're doing it. Be wise, be wise, be wise. But look at your, think about the negative things that have happened to you. I'm not talking about illness or natural disaster or even losing a job on a layoff. But most of the other negative things in our lives have occurred because of something careless or cruel that either you or someone else said. Is that true? Because once it's said, it can't be taken back. You can apologize, but sometimes the damage is out of your hands by then. Now what happens is we all bear wounds. Every one of us bears wounds. Every one of us believes lies about ourselves. Are y'all convinced of that yet? 
And these lies within usually come from some unkind, painful words spoken to us by a significant person in our life. It happens, most, most of it happens when we're children. Because you're unguarded, you're unprotected, you're open to those people you trust. And you know what? Doesn't mean that it was intentional. Could have been just a tired father. Could have been a, a mother who was fearful. Maybe there was an emotional struggle. Maybe there was a layoff at work. Maybe something else was happening. But to the child, the child doesn't reason as an adult. The child reasons as a child. So the child's not thinking, well, my father's worried about getting laid off. Therefore, he snapped at me. No, the child hears, I don't matter to my father. Is that right? The child hears, I'm not important. And every one of us harbors beliefs like that. You know, sometimes we do say something cruel, don't we? All of us. We're short of patience. Something happens. We're fearful of something else. We snap at our children. We snap at our spouses. And we say, well, that wasn't like me. Was it? It was like you. See what I'm saying? It has to come from within. It may be that you have it under control most of the time until you're under pressure or stress. But whatever comes out was in there. It didn't come from outside. It came from within. You know, when we say something to our child, when we wound our child, that what they come to believe about the experience remains with them throughout their lives. It's not seen, maybe unrecognized, but it will control that person's responses in similar situations. That's called association. You're sitting in the office. There are three of you at work. The boss makes a statement. One of you isn't bothered at all. One of you is enraged about what he said. The other one thinks, well, it hurts, but it's fair. Why, why would you interpret it differently? You all sat in the room at the same time. You heard the same words. Why would you interpret it differently? Because you interpret it by what's in you, not what was in that room. The harsh, cruel, hurtful things that we say. And our responses, I've been saying this a couple of weeks now, our responses to every situation and circumstance is always and only about who? Me. My responses are always and only about me. I didn't say somebody wasn't unkind to me. But my response is me, not the person I attacked or defended against. James 3, 7. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. But no one can tame the tongue. It is, a restless, it is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. You can't just by self-control manage your tongue, just by human effort. You can sometimes, you can manage what you say, but when you're hurt, when you're disappointed, when you're afraid, 
when you're rejected or mistreated, then you lose control. You know what I'm talking about? When those things happen, you lose, you lose control. And then you, you fly, quote, we say, I flew off the handle. It wasn't like me. I didn't mean to do that. But that's the very reason that we did it, is we were able to control ourselves for a while. Have you ever hurt someone? But it was someone you cared about, right? Well, see, what happens is that your emotions direct your tongue. Do you know that? What you believe inside is what informs the words that come out. And so when someone says it, you associate it with something that happened before. You may not even realize it. But these old wounds are ignited. These deep lies about ourselves our identity, our state of being incites our anger or, or it causes fear. And our tongues become incendiary devices. Are you identifying with this? You're sitting there and, and something said and the next moment you're enraged. And the emotion doesn't equal the statement at all. Because what you felt was inside. Have you ever hurt anyone or harmed anyone with your words? Do you see that what you say reveals more about you than it says about the person you're speaking about? Can you see that? Can everybody see that? Well, what can I do about it? Well, first is be sure you're, you're truly a born-again Christian because the resource of help is the Spirit of God being within us. Because it's the Spirit. We've looked at this for a couple of years. The Spirit of God transforms our mind. The Spirit of God changes our thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means heal those old wounds. Expose those old lies. And instead, receive God's truth. And I know, and you're saying, well, I don't know how to hear from God. I mean, you talk about hearing from God, but I don't know what you're talking about. That's why we do transformation prayer. And I know this sounds weird to some of y'all, but, but give it a try. All transformation prayer is, is that there's someone who facilitates you through the process. And you have some emotion. You're upset. You're fearful. You lost two clients last week, and you're, but you're feeling like, oh, no, I'm no valuable. My my. My practice is going to go. My office is going to have to be closed. And someone says, what are you feeling? Why do you feel that way? And it'll take you from your emotion to a memory to something you believe that's at the core of it. And then this person will just say, you want to ask God about this? And we pray and God speaks. It's not a person convincing you or arguing something. Because I can, I can tell you the truth. You already know the truth. Don't you? I mean, Stuart, you get yourself in a mess sometimes, but you already knew the truth that could have kept you out, right? Is that true? Absolutely. So why can't you do it, see? Why can't you do it? Glenn, you know anything about this? Why can't you do it? Because it's, it's a response that's coming from within. And with someone's help, you can hear God. And God changes the lie and replaces it with truth. You can't do it intellectually. God has to do it spiritually. That's transformation. You believe that? We're seeing it all the time now. Doesn't require you to confess every bad thing you ever did. 
Some of us are hesitant. We think, oh, I've got to go in there and tell everybody all the evil I've ever done. Nope, doesn't have that. All you have to do is have some emotion about something. You don't have to confess any of your sins and misdeeds at all because we're trying to help you hear from God so he can heal your wounds and replace your lies with truth. Does that sound good? Call up Care Connection. We'll line you up. Call up the Be Encouraged house. That's what we do. What I say confirms or contradicts my salvation. Verse 9. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. Sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. Look at how strange this is. We praise and honor God. And you're not here because you dislike God. You're here because you care for God. You want to know God. So you're motivated positively. So how is it that you praise and honor God and then you criticize and ridicule people who are made by His hand, in His image, and who matter to Him? Doesn't make sense, does it? What, is, what do you mean God's image? Well, it, well, it includes intelligence, self-consciousness. You know, self-awareness is part of the image of God. Animals don't contemplate life, you know. They don't think, well, you know what? I think that, I think that other dog down the street disrespected me. <laughs> and they're not thinking, what am I going to do with my life? They don't, they don't think like that. And they don't have any conscience. They're not ethical or moral. The image of God is morality. Animals, you know, think, I'm going to get that meat out of that other dog's mouth. They don't, they're not concerned. There's a moral nature. There are emotions. There's a will. And above all, there's an ability to connect with and communicate with God. Now, look how precious that is. Every person formed and fashioned by God contains his image. Doesn't even mean they're born again yet. But they have the image of God. Well, doesn't it make sense that if I value God, I value what He values? I love whom He loves? Then how can we treat someone so cruelly? I mean, it's like this. If you, if you like me at any level, you'll, you will like my kids. If you respect me or love me, you're going to love my kids. Because you know I love them. You see what I'm saying? We reflect how we feel about someone. To curse a person means we see no value, no significance in that person. And because of that, or they're damaging people. We can feel free to, to damage, to diminish, to wound, to crush. And I'm going to tell you, when politicians, I don't care what stripe, when politicians divide people and make different sets of enemies, that's a wrong thing. Because if you can teach someone this is your enemy, it enables you to be free to crush and criticize and be cruel. Mm-mm. God created people. They're made in His image. James 3, 10 through 12. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this isn't right. Does a spring of water bubble out with fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Which one are you? What comes out of your mouth? What does it reveal about your heart? Proverbs 15 up here on the screen. And the verse says, 
The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. Which one describes you? Now I'm going to close. I'll be quick. I've got a diagnostic tool. Now what I want you to do, you don't have to memorize all this, but you need to listen for what applies to you. Write that down. And then you can hear what what's identified in your heart. If you have a harsh tongue, you have an angry heart. If you have a negative tongue, you have a fearful heart. If you have an overactive tongue, you have an unsettled heart. If you have a boastful tongue, you have an insecure heart. If you have a filthy tongue, you have an impure heart. If you have a critical tongue, you have a bitter heart. If you have a truthful tongue, you have an honest heart. If you have an encouraging tongue, you have a happy heart. If you have an optimistic tongue, you have a trusting heart. And if you have a gentle tongue, you have a loving heart. Soul training this week. What do my words reveal about my heart? Father, show us ourselves so that we can be conformed to yourself. In your blessed son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. There will be counselors at the front that would love to talk or pray with you.